Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's going to be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're going to hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk. Nope. we got to sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal, guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Today we have a very special guest on our show, and this is a personal one to me. You know that we talk about awakening hope and empowering change on this podcast through stories of both triumph and trauma. Well, this is both. We talk about areas of faith and love and justice on this podcast, and today is all of it. If every part of our lives informs our next steps, you are going to hear on this show part of why I am the way that I am in regards to racial equality. And more importantly, you're going to get to hear from the friend who helped me see what I couldn't see myself. We're going to talk to one of my old high school friends who influenced my life in ways I'm still discovering. Kevin Porter, or KP as we refer to him, was the first black man I had ever been in close friendship with. A dear friend who I met in the ninth grade and had an immediate, goofy, fun connection. KP was hilarious, warm, kind, relational. He was friends with all of my other guy friends. He was a man of faith, and he didn't do drugs, which every parent would want their daughter to have a man, a person like KP in their life. Now, in the context of our relationship, this is really important. We were students at Robert E. Lee High School in Tyler, Texas. And Tyler, like all American towns, has a history of embedded racism. And our high school was no exception, even if we didn't realize it at the time. In fact, KP and I were voted our senior year as Mr. and Miss Robert E. Lee. Kevin wasn't the first black Mr. Robert E. Lee. But it wasn't until I moved away and grew up learning more of America's racist roots that I wondered, did this bother him? I just want you to hear the words of our old high school song that we grew up singing every Friday at our pep rally. Robert E. Lee, we raise our voices in praise of your name. May honor and glory ever guide you to fame. Long may their colors and their symbols recall faithfully that red is for courage and white for purity. It goes on to say that our memories will bind us to Robert E. Lee. Wow. Dead gummit. <laughs> so today, currently, the school name has been voted on to be changed. Both Robert E. Lee as well as our other high school in Tyler, John Tyler, who also contributed to the Confederacy, they have been voted on to be changed. My brother actually sits as the current board president of the school board and carried this issue of the name change to the board to be voted on to, quote, rip the Band-Aid off. Both KP and I were shocked that it passed, and let's be honest, we both agree that changing names and removing Confederate symbols 
is merely the start of undoing the ideology of racism in our country. So today, we're going to welcome KP to our podcast, and we're going to step back a little bit so we can hear from his experience of growing up at Robert E. Lee High School, his experiences with brushing up against racism, and you're going to hear our stories and our experiences. They are very, very different. Welcome. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. This is kind of cool. I'm on iTunes when I'm... <laughs> You're going to be iTunes famous. You're going to be, yeah. be totally iTunes famous. This just was get not just the way I thought I was going to become famous. I know, right? No. Here you are. You just get ready. True story. Well, I actually thought at one point, I was like 19, I'm just going to randomly go to LA, and my goal was to be Phoebe's black boyfriend on oh, Friends. Yes. And that's not the path I went. <laughs> but, so. <laughs> so, but you could have been. So it was either going that path or, you know, 20 plus years later, mm-hmm. coming on your podcast. Here you go. Here I am. Well, I wanted this opportunity. We've talked about this issue over the years, and really um, at our 20-year reunion was really when I felt like I need to talk to Kevin about this. I need to talk to KP. I need him to know how sorry I am and how sorry I felt for any harm that I brought on to you. Do you remember when I, I guess it was through Facebook Messenger or something. It was. You sent me a Facebook message and, you know, kind of a a lengthy, like, apology. And you kind of just, you know, let me know how sorry you were. And I'm like, what is this about? And it was more about, you know, mentioning Mm -hmm. prom and you not being able to go. And at the time, I kind of, it it kind of slipped my mind. I didn't realize (laughs) Like, <laughs> that was the case. Um, but it was obvious. I mean, we hadn't, you know, outside of like saying hi at the reunion, we right. literally hadn't spoke Mm-mm. at all. So, I mean, for you to just send me this message, I mean, I could tell it was definitely on your heart. Yeah, you know? it was. And I think that, you know, like I said in the intro, that my relationship with you in high school was such a formative one. Like it was such a valuable and formative friendship that when we got to the end of our senior year, I felt like all of that got ripped away from me because of your race. Yeah. Because you were black. But that's not necessarily what you experienced. Well, I'm completely ignorant of everything that's going on on your side. Right. You know, and, you know, it's funny you say that now, and obviously because of the experience you had, but, you know, we, I think we met very early in our freshman oh, yeah. year yeah. Of, of high school and kind of ran in the same crowd. So, yeah. you, I mean, remember calling your house, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, definitely. Well, I, no, 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 I, I think what I'm finding interesting right now is, you're not thinking about her perspective or, or what she's going through. At that time, absolutely. It didn't, not, even, cross, not, it, didn't even cross your mind. No, no not at all. And, uh, you know, I, I obviously don't know a lot of things that are going on in your home, you know, which is sure. probably normal. People right. don't know what's going on in other people's right. homes, you know. So yeah. let's talk. I mean, that's what I want to talk <clears throat> about is what was it like? Bring, bring our listeners into an awareness of what it was like growing up, being a kid, being a black kid in Tyler, Texas, majority white culture, 
Um, did you feel that? You also had majority white friends. Yeah. So I guess taking a step back, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not born in Tyler. I wasn't born in Tyler. My parents are originally from Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother was born in Bullard, one mm-hmm. of 11. So we have a lot of ties to the area. And my parents were uh, still adolescents going through like the big Detroit riots in 68. Yeah. And they uh, had me about 10 years later, my brother four years later, and we ended up moving to Texas. My grandparents retired, bought land out in Kilgore area, and we moved to Texas. And um, so my first experience, actually, I went to Ramey, which was on the north Mm -hmm. side of town, you know, which Mm -hmm. I guess would be, you know, the black school in Mm -hmm. town, North Tyler, and went there from K to third grade. And then my parents uh, bought a house and which district us in another, you know, in Rice Elementary. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the first time was, you know, where 90% of my classmates were black in third grade. Yeah. And then I switched schools and go into this new school and I'm I'm literally the only black kid. And in, so what's going uh, through your mind at that time? <laughs> um, I definitely kind of felt, um, I, I remember thinking, this is different, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, um, but... This is going to sound so silly. It didn't, I think it, what really helped me kind of become comfortable was, you know, was going to PE and re- winning races. So now I'm the fastest kid in class. So people want me on their team and right. things like that, you know, right. hey, I, I'm going to pick Kevin first, that kind of one of those things. So sports kind of integrated me into, uh, wow. you know, having friendships and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. there wasn't, um, I don't, you know, maybe after a couple months, it kind of was seamless. But I definitely remember that first day of school was like, oh, the school looks nicer. It's uh-huh. a lot, lot, hmm. lot more white people here. And uh-huh. um, What was, about dress? Um, I don't know that I... Had, I don't think I developed a style yet. By yeah. <laughs> you, had a, you had a style once you got to high for sure. I mean, at that point, but early on, I mean, but I think you're just a creature of your environment. So you know, maybe people were dressing a little different at Ramey, and then you see go to another school. And I'm like, oh, all these kids have umbro shorts. Yeah, that that might be cool. I might have a, <laughs> a pair of those or yeah. this kind of shirt. You so, Cavaricis. <laughs> absolutely. So, just you know, I just kind of because now these are my friends. Yeah. You just kind of roll with the crowd. And so, um, you stayed in that school district. Absolutely. Went to Hubbard next, uh-huh. and um, again. You know, most at that point, I've been on that side of town three or four years. And now it's, you know, because specifically because of sports, you know, hey, Kevin, come play on our church league team. Come yeah. do this. Come play extracurricular and go into Hubbard. And so I'm playing sports there. And Hubbard's, um, Hubbard's forgive me, I'm not from Tyler. Middle school. There. Hubbard's middle school. <laughs> and then you go from Hubbard to Robert E. Lee. Okay. Gotcha. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and similar experience i mean i think at that point now because three mid, three elementary schools have merged into your uh middle school now there's a little bit more diversity yeah. you know i'm not the only black kid in class i might be one of three mm-hmm. maybe at that point yeah um but now at that point it kind of become normal yeah. to me you know so right. did, um, did you did you recognize um <clears throat> and i think we've talked about this before <clears throat> But 
was it the move maybe from Detroit to the South that already you you talked already different because you were from the North? So number one, that's the thing. I'm 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 basically raised in East Texas, but my parents don't speak East Texan in my home. Yeah, you know, so a yeah. lot of the the draws and things like that. Um, you know, you know, I didn't. I heard it, but when I came home, it wasn't that big of an influence at all. Right. Or it wasn't at all. Um, so one thing is that when I went to fourth grade, I actually and right, I would I remember going to speech class. Huh. You know, when other kids were going to music class, I guess I had a little bit of a list. And, <laughs> and so me and another kid, I remember everyone would go to music, and I would go to speech class, huh. and um, I think. You know, my teacher that had a big influence of how I spoke, you know, mm. and so again, you're around people and just inflections of words, how people say stuff, yeah. and, you know, that kind of started, I was then probably to answer your question, then around sixth grade, I started getting sixth and seventh grade, the, oh, you, you kind of talk white. Right. You know? Oh, <laughs> let's talk about that. Yeah. You know, what does that feel like? Like, um, I think the, it it feels number one, black people will let you know that mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're then, saying it's not just white people? Who would no, say. not at all, not at all. Um, and even the white, oh, you talk different, mm-hmm. you know. So it mm-hmm. was kind of like even like how I talk wasn't fitting in a bucket. Yeah. Have no. you ever heard the phrase "you're well spoken"? Too many times to count, yeah. which is code for you don't talk black. I mean, yeah. that's so. It, it, it's uh, yeah. Um, so I've tried to live in a space hearing that as a um, well spoken as a compliment as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think it's when you're young, it's easy to put in that bucket. When you, the older you get, you start to. Yeah, we're we're dissecting all these things now. Sure, you know, like when you're growing up in an environment, whether you grow up in a racist culture or racist, you know, you're being told um, racist ideologies. You don't you don't know that they're racist. Well, and even even from a a white perspective, I mean. That was how I was speaking. Think, yeah, I'm well, a white yeah. woman. I don't, that is true. You are white. <laughs> and you're true. white. I, have <laughs> I, I just don't. I, like I don't. I don't think a lot of white folks when they say things like "Oh, you're well spoken," I don't think they're meaning to be. Not at all. But they don't understand in saying that. I mean, a word that's becoming more used. That that's a microaggression because you're you're. Yeah, and you know, I think I, I think it's more of an acknowledgement. Okay you're different than them, Mm. you know, something's different about you than them, you know? Um, and again, I don't even think it's coming from a place of being mean. It's just, you know, okay, my perception of what you should sound like, or everyone, the few people I have sounded like, sound like that. You don't sound like that, you know? So, um, that's, cool or maybe they think that's cool yeah they they do think it's a compliment (laughs) yeah it's part of that like white saviorism and white the hierarchy of like you you know oh you i can identify with you you sound a little more like me and i'm well spoken (laughs) right so Uh uh-huh right but who's the last white person that you said 
to an adult. <laughs> what, who is the la- you know what I mean? Unless you're in a public speaking class or someone has just given a really powerful speech, but not in everyday interaction. Do I walk up to my white <laughs> friends and say, "Man, you gosh, so you well are spoken. really well spoken." <laughs> the way you did that intro, Emily, today on this podcast, yeah, you so was well so spoken. well spoken. I just we don't say that. No, I don't. Th- uh, I. Honestly, can think the only time I've thought that it might have been like a TV anchor or yeah. something. I'm like, oh, you're you're made for this, <laughs> right, you know? Right, yeah, <laughs> but uh, not my day to day. So, um, fast forward into our high school years when we met. I mean, I think our friend Brooke introduced us. I feel like one of the first times I interacted with you was like at her house. One hundred percent, it was. And we were like shooting a BB gun or something. Yeah, she had a quite a like some space. Yeah. Right. Like land kind of kind of on a hill. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually remember like riding my bike over to her house. And totally. you, you were over that. That was yeah. literally the first day we that met. That was the first day we met. Yeah. Okay. I, I remember that too. I just didn't know if that was accurate or not because sometimes memories are no, that, fuzzy. That is, I will back you up on that. Okay, cool. <laughs> not prom, but that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, and I just remember like you were so, fa- I don't know how you and Brooke met or what that just in the neighborhood, maybe. No, just at school. Just like, at school. Like I, I remember going into high school, like just being so excited. Like, yeah. Number one, again, like I was excited for sports. All of these three, you know, yeah. lots of good players. All these schools are coming. All these new girls. Uh-huh. All these, new, <laughs> you know. Now you're with older people. Like right. I mean, I was really like excited about the experience. Like the only thing, you know, was how oh, am I going to remember where my locker is? But right. like the human interaction like I was you were pumped for I was, it. I'm ready to meet at let's do it I was terrified <laughs> I was totally terrified I don't know if you remember but I had these horrible glasses, glasses. I remember the glasses and they would like I didn't ask for transition lenses <laughs> But I don't know. I've seen the pictures. I don't know, but those when I walked out in the sun, it was like they would get shady. So I tried my freshman year. I remember I was so terrified because here was my like moment to come from my middle school, which was not Hubbard. You actually were in a richer school district than I was, and Brooke had come from a private small Christian school. So we were all three all three coming from very different places, Um, and I had some sort of eye infection for my contacts and so my whole freshman year I had to wear glasses and the I was whole like year? I remember the glasses I was like what is the universe what is god <laughs> doing to me that I get my <laughs> chance in high school to like be a part of this huge you know and here I have to wear glasses except for sports games I could put in my contacts so now y'all school I mean, just if you're listening outside of Texas, we've got some really big schools here. Yes. And so you got Robert E. Lee is a huge, at that time was a 5A? Yes. Yeah. And it's a 6, now, be a 6, 6 a, a now, today. which I guess means, does that mean like more than 2,500 students? Yeah. I believe it is. So, yeah. How many was in your graduating class? Well, we started with close to 1,000, but by the time. By the time, I mean, I feel like there it was were a lot of dropouts. Low eights or something. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was yeah, close to a thousand. Yeah. yeah, yeah, large. Yeah, it was a very big school. A very big now, school. Now, at that time, um, would you say, um, like, what would you say would be the racial percentages at Robert E. Lee? Like majority white. Yeah. Oh, definitely majority white. And then I would. Like 60-40 maybe? No. As far as like the 40 being people of color. I would say that was Hispanic. probably 75-25. Oh, okay. wow. Okay. okay. So yeah. 
my perception of right, it. Right, right, I think right. 60-40 is too much. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and what were your brushes? I'm going to tell you, because we talked about this beforehand, of the Malcolm X movie coming out. Yeah. yeah. And we think it was like our freshman, sophomore year maybe? Or no, did we land on junior year? No, I think it had to be freshman or sophomore year. Okay. Yeah. So... The Malcolm X movie comes out, and it's a black thing you wouldn't understand. Becomes like a cultural it's kind, kind of, of a movement, you know. At yeah. that point, where Malcolm like a X revival. Starts, you know? 1992, fact checking is when Malcolm X came out. Okay, so freshman year. Yeah, freshman yep. year. Yep. And then that movement takes off, and of course, you've got Rodney King, the '90s hip hop movement, like happening out in LA. And yep. there's anger. There's like palpable. Um, What's happening in the black community at that time or from your perspective? So again, I'm, I'm 14, you know, know. Yeah. <laughs> at, the, at that point. In Tyler. Right. And so, but the thing is, you know, I have a lot of white friends, but my, my family's all black, crazy, you yeah. know? So, yeah. you know, when I'm not with my friends, I'm with my family on the weekends or in uh, my, talking to my cousins from Detroit and Mississippi and things like that. And um, I do remember, you know, you're outward appearance was was very important in terms of wearing, you know, black culture things. I remember mm-hmm. my mom had bought me uh there's a brand called, called Cross Colors. Oh, that I was, totally <laughs> remember Cross Colors. And you know, I was definitely outfitted in my and uh and wanted it, you know. Yeah. You watching, you know, sitcoms growing up and you know, seeing, you know, some of the black Artists and icons, you know, Will Smith is wearing this on the first Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Totally. Martin Martin's wearing this, yeah. you know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, oh, so yes. it was definitely a, a time of like f- free expression, right? You know, with outwardly what you what you're wearing at school. I mean, I don't think anything really. I mean, it was kind of the you know normal happenings as it was from middle school and then until those race riots happened. And yeah. I think the tenor definitely changed in yeah. the school at that point. You know, So we had a white student who showed up to class or showed up to school wearing a shirt that said, and it may have had a Confederate flag on it. I, don't I believe it, it did. Because it said it's a white thing you wouldn't understand. Yeah, and I believe maybe that was on the back or maybe on the front or I've got it mixed up where the other side said, um, you wear your ex, I'll wear mine. I remember seeing that shirt in <laughs> yeah. high school. Yeah. I mean, and so that was a shirt and it, um, it caused problems. Yeah. <laughs> so administration tells the kid, you got to go home. You can't wear that. And then the parents become enraged. And I guess somehow it gets out um, all the way to like the KKK and I remember we've talked and you're like, I, I don't remember this, which... But I remember the race riots happened and there was a movement to beef up the presence of the KKK in Tyler at that time. Now, wait, just for clarity, again, I'm not from this, so you keep saying the race riots. Okay, you yes. You actually had race riots in Tyler, Texas? No, at our school. So, at your school. I mean, there were groups of white people versus groups of black people, multiple fights uh, between out. periods. Wow. Um, lockdowns for classes. And was it stemmed from this shirt? Yes. yes 100%. Okay. And so, like, it, it wasn't just a day. Like, no, it, was it was like a few days. A few days. And oh. I remember, you know, I remember being in lunch and maybe one of the subsequent days, 
you know, a black and a white getting in a brawl in line over the last chicken sandwich and see lunch. Like, oh, and, wow. like and, and, and it's just trays are being thrown and it's just, uh, it was, it was an unsafe time around school. And specifically just because, you know, one thing for, you know, probably your listeners here, you know, you have this imagination of a school like you watch on TV where, hey, if you go into lockdown, you can lock the doors. Right. You can put every, you know, you can say, well, we had an open campus. So yep. I would say like 80% of our, you know, 60 to 70% of our doors was just to the outside. You know, I could walk from the parking lot into my geometry class, you know, wow. and so no fencing around like if you wanted to come on campus or get off it was it was no problem so there were just (laughs) random people on campus and older people not non-students walking campus it was it was scary so here's a question for both of you who felt more unsafe the white people the black people i i remember not coming to school at least for a day i would probably say the white people felt more unsafe Mm. yeah um it was, yeah, I mean, there were, there were SWAT teams and things like oh, chasing kids. I mean, it was... It was Rooftop. It was there were legit. SWAT teams on the roof so we're, with this snipers. This is legit. Guns. This was legit. I mean, apparently it made CNN at, yeah. the, at, the, at a point back then. It was legit. Wow. It was legit. I personally, um, that was a big turning point for me in my life because, you know, as you stated before, now, number one, I have all these white friends. Right, right, right. I'm black. And it was kind of at a point right then. It was like, like you, like today, you got to pick a side. Mm. <laughs> you know, pick yeah. a side. Who are you gonna march yeah. with? Who are you with? You know, all yeah. this stuff is going on. Are you gonna be seen in the courtyard with all your white friends? Mm. You know, yeah, were you, embar- are you? Did it bring up an embarrassment for you? For I, I wouldn't say embarrassment. Because, I mean, I don't want to say that I had a lot of black friends, you know, that I played sports with, you know, I mean, grew up with and grew up on the other side of town and played with, you know, in the YMCA, like went to church with and things like that, you know. So um, it was more, again, I didn't know where I didn't know where to I didn't know what bucket to go in. So I actually vividly remember kind of like isolating myself Mm -hmm. at that time. So normally between classes, if, you know, I go mess around for four minutes in the courtyard with people, I'm going to go the long way to class this time by mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was uncomfortable. And it was wow. survival for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was like how, yeah, how do you, how do you survive as a black man or black teenager who? is trying to grapple with your own cultural history, your own identity. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, we've probably stayed, I believe in the old school that just got turned down, uh, torn down actually, um, there was bullet holes in the front of the school, um, Mm -hmm. from people shooting from the street. I mean, trucks driving by with huge Confederate flags. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it was really, really scary. So, Number one, it was just scary to be a student. Totally. <laughs> you know, yeah. and then, you know, once you're on campus, now there's this whole culture now of, you know, it was, it was, it kind of felt us against them a little bit. It did. And, and it, it, it felt like there was so much polarity that to like dance in any kind of nuance, like, yes, I'm white, but I'm not white. I don't carry a Confederate flag. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you're black, but you also have white friends. To, right. to try to 
dance in that middle ground and hold the tension was like impossible. And, and be a teen. Yeah, yeah. and be a teen. Well, like, but we then just... on top of that, you've <laughs> got the outside influences of the rednecks coming in from the outlying there were, small towns with their trucks with no mufflers 100. to do their thing. I saw those people and yeah. they were on campus. Absolutely. So yeah, it was, it was like I said, it was very scary. Mm. <laughs> A lot of dynamics there. I don't think I had ever thought about the Confederacy like very intentionally until then. I didn't realize how steeped our American culture in the South, especially in Tyler, Texas. And honestly, yes, we were teenagers. Like I didn't spend a ton of time like thinking through that history. It wasn't until I moved away and graduated that I started going like, wow, like I have really been a part of even supporting racist ideology. Like I didn't even see my own complicity in it. Um, Didn't your school used to be when your mascot, the Rebels? Yeah, so let's talk about that history, just to give context for... No, so my understanding of it is, you know, basically the federal government forced integration uh, in the schools, and so, and Tyler was a little bit hesitant to, to doing that. I think and we were the last town to be integrated. Wasn't it the 70s? No, no, no. No, 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 no. It was after 58 when yep. the ruling came down. But then we we decided um, to that Tyler Independent School District was going to make it really hard. Yep, yep. <laughs> and um, you know you can fact check me, check me later. So at the time there was a basically majority black school, Emmett Scott, and then yes. Tyler High. And due to the forced integration, um, I guess um, the powers that be decided. You know what? We're going to take tear down Emmett Scott. We're going to build this other school and now rename these school, schools Robert E. Lee and John Tyler. Oh, my. So it used to be called Tyler High School. Yeah. And then they... That's like a middle finger. <laughs> that's, it wasn't only a middle finger. <laughs> it was like a forced exile oh of black gosh. culture at Emmett Scott. And they had to go. And their two schools to choose from were now both tied to the Confederacy. And Robert E. Lee was um, not just the name, but we were the rebels, the mascot, where the people, the guards. They wore Confederate, Confederate gear, basically. Like legit uniform, yeah. antique reproductions and some genuine Confederate soldier uniforms. And you flew the rebel flag. They, and, ca- no, they had the yeah, biggest I, rebel I believe, flag. No, I, yeah, I believe it was it was the biggest rebel flag. In the, in the South. <laughs> in the South, I, yeah. It took 20... Wow. That would probably be sprawled out at football games and yeah. in the gym and things like that. Yeah. So but I think that was, that was like early 60s. Early 60s. Yeah. The and name, so as a black person going through already what's going on with civil rights, now you have to stand in a gym right. with the biggest ass Dixie flag you've ever seen, and you're supposed to cheer and get For, Forced to go there. Yeah. It was... Yeah. I couldn't imagine. <sighs> I've always said, um, you know, things have... You know, there's a ton of improvement that can be made, but I I grew up in probably one of the best times to be an African American, and the people who grew up after me is even better. You know, but mm-hmm. if I was born 20 years earlier, 10 years earlier, mm-hmm. I just couldn't. I, my brain can't wrap around what mm-hmm. people went through. My but pa- your you parents, know, my parents, yeah. exactly. You know, and what's interesting is, you know. 
and I don't know if because of everything that was going on with them, they, you know, my parents didn't give a lot of details mm. about things. You know, it's almost like they didn't want to talk about it. Then again, my parents weren't from Tyler. Right. They were from Detroit. They had a complete different perspective, but, you know, they had their issues in <laughs> there, Detroit. And there too, totally. you know. So, um, it, you know, complete different experience for them. So it was, you know, uh, kind of the segue to that history of our school while we're there is really, it's just not, it wasn't talked about really. It was not talked about. Mm-hmm. And so then the race riots bring up the issue, you know, they're, they're forcing us to kind of reckon with. And I think everybody just, it's keep the peace. One of the things that I wanted to ask you is that I think one of the, the hard things that it was hard for me to identify racism in my own life and in our city and in the South is because everybody's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like you're taught to be nice on the exterior and have really great manners. But what I know as a white woman behind the scenes is that people do talk. It's not that white people don't talk about race. It's that they talk about it from a position of power. And they don't even know they're doing it. I I didn't even know I was doing it. But when you start making jokes or you start mimicking accents and you think it's funny that kids from the hood talk like this and you start retelling stories with your white friends of how funny and how cute and uh, that's from a position of majority power, not from a position of informed empathy. Um, I, what I can add to that is um, everyone of my friend's parents the nicest people mm-hmm. I've ever met in my yeah. entire life, right. you know, um, in terms of, you know, my interactions with them, you know, um, like I, I honestly could not point out one bad thing from almost any one of my friend's parents at right. all. You know, that said, you know, fast forward today, a lot of it is okay. Well, they were, but if it came down to, if I asked their daughter out, yeah. What, what would have happened, you yeah. know? And yeah, I don't know. I it would have <laughs> been a no, Kevin. I know it would have been. A, no. I'm telling you. And 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 I I never ventured there. Yeah. Number one, not trying to get rejected, and number two, you know, you know, I'm also raised in a place where my parents were making me aware, like they knew I was hanging out with white people yeah. and things. So you know, you know, whether it was through conversations or through art and music and movies like hey you can get yourself in a situation that you know um can be bad for you even Mm -hmm. if you're not doing anything wrong you Mm -hmm. know the worst case scenario is you know you're dating someone and that you get accused of something or you know that's that's bad news for kevin porter yeah (laughs) so you know So I I remember growing up, and when you would see an interracial couple, when I would see an interracial couple, it would it would feel weird because it was sure what is, and then the movie came out, Jungle Fever, yep. and so now that begins this. Let's start normalizing the fact that people have the capacity <laughs> to love each other. <laughs> right? Yeah, people. it's irrelevant Shocker. of what their skin color is or whatever. So would would it have been an issue for you to bring home a white girl? For your parents, from, from, from in a romantic side. relationship. So I don't think so. I think they would have been worried about me outside of their home, like mm. the perception of that. But for them, like one thing, one cool thing about my parents and grandparents, they were um, during the Detroit '68 riots. They were part of one of the f- only 
integrated churches in Detroit. Mm. So when all that was going on, they're standing behind beside other white people, like protecting their church at the mm. same time. Wow. So um, my my parents, they, you know, I guess cliche. They raised me very right. right. Like one of my big mantras in my house, like from. Uh, probably being five through high school after grace was don't judge a person by the color of their skin, but by their deeds, actions and character. And my dad Mm. would like make me say it before I left the house Mm. to go out and things like that. So it was kind of ingrained in me that, you know, I saw color, but it didn't affect anything, Mm -hmm. how I perceive people at all. Like Mm -hmm. you've got to screw me over for me to start thinking different about you, you know? Yeah. And I think part of what, makes undoing racist ideology really hard and especially in the south in white evangelical christian circles when we start kind of pulling back all that is because it's kind of like can we just be nice can we just keep the peace can't everybody just for sure say nice things and we and be nice to each other and isn't that enough for quote them yeah it's uh, it's interesting that during, um, side note, I haven't seen you in twenty years, but I see you during a pandemic. You know, right. it's, it's crazy. Right, uh, right, right. Um, but well, you see, we saw each other at a reunion. reunion. There wasn't a pandemic. Correct, but, but you know, just given some time to really process all this stuff that's going on after George Floyd and things, yeah. and um, um. I lost my train of thought. Oh, sorry. I interrupted. It's because I interrupted you. Yeah. You haven't seen me in 20 years. Evangelical church. It's hard to. Yeah. And so you really sit down and take the time and not, you know, you're not watching sports. You're not doing all this extra stuff. And I've used this time to kind of really, you know, educate myself, you know, like what's going on and history and really looking back in history, like the Confederacy, the romanticizing of it mm. is wow. such a problem. Yes. <laughs> will you just, yeah. Hey, will it's you so- just say that again <laughs> for the people in the way far back? <laughs> yeah. The romanticizing of the Confederacy is a huge problem. And I, again, I've been really into this reading, yeah. watching history and, you know, I don't care what anyone says. They were treasonous. Totally. And they didn't get punished. Right. And they got their land back and they Mm. got to, you know, kind of exalt who they were and put up statues and name things. Like that doesn't happen. They lost. (laughs) That doesn't happen. Like they got anywhere else in the world. Lost and got to put up trophies. Yeah, when's the last? I wonder <laughs> no. if, when I was in Germany, when we were in Germany back in 2011, I think it was, I don't recall seeing a statue to Hitler. No, and I've been there too. My brother yeah. actually lives yeah. there right now. And so I've been to quite a few of the concentrate, a mm-hmm. couple of the concentration camps there. And they really are, they're memorializing the people who were lost. Absolutely. There is no, yes. there is no praise for anyone doing any wrongdoings there no. at all. Yes. You know, and. And it's kind of there to just, so you can go in there and feel the pain. Yeah. It's heavy. It, you know? And yeah. you know, you do, like I, my body felt eerie. And yes. just, totally. You know? And um, there's none of that in our, there's nothing, none of that in our country no, at all. Even you know? the reenactments that you can go and be yeah. a part of the Civil War reenactments are like, they're fan, they're fantastical. They're kind of like 
yeah, romanticized. Yeah, and that's I almost have empathy for how people think about it because it's almost ignorance. Like it you just you just people don't. Well, even the even the history we were taught, if it's if the 100%. history went, I mean, it's you know they just kind of gloss over something like like the period after the Civil War yeah, was the terrible. Was yeah. terrible. Was yeah. absolutely terrible, and it's almost like covered. I kind of only remember it like it was a hurricane event. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to you know? ask you like what you what you remember about. I mean, I know that's like reaching back in the archives, <laughs> but like I don't remember. I don't. I don't remember really being taught. I remember the issue of slavery, and I had a lot of questions about it in elementary and middle school. But moving into like, like in our economics class, when we were like made to take economics, why didn't we talk about economic injustice and the way our whole country was built? Like to me, that's like pretty foundational. Yeah. I mean, it's not the curriculum they wanted us to learn. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, Do you remember hearing things in class and then coming home or just no? So I, I will say this. I know, no, I didn't. But growing up, I would say, I, I can easily say I speak for a lot of um, African-Americans my age. Like our family, our parents, they probably knew you weren't learning yeah. it in school. And so, you know, I'm forced to sit down and watch Roots. I'm forced to sit down and watch, you know, Glory. I'm for mm-hmm. like it's like mandatory TV. And every year Roots came on. I mean, for a handful of like you've got this is this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So like my understanding of the time, like I felt it. Where I don't know that if you're white, that's how it's portrayed to you in a manner to fill it. And I kind of liken it to um, the Passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm. You watch that movie and you feel it. Oh, it's yeah. it's hard to you know what I'm so saying. Hard. It's hard to watch, but it's not it's not a popcorn movie. <laughs> no, but no. you feel it, and so you feel what Jesus went yeah. through, and it hits you harder. Yeah. That's how I learned about you know slavery and things. I mm. I feel it. I don't know if my friends have that same experience, and you know, quite honestly, if some of those movies are on, I'm going to change that. You know, it <laughs> takes a level of it takes. A level of um, resolve for sure, but also, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I have always, maybe some of it, in my birthday, I share a birthday with Martin Luther King Jr. Oh. And I learned that when I was like in high school. Okay. I was like, wait, I share a birthday with this civil rights movement, like hero. That's crazy. And I wanted to know more. And I was always intrigued by why did slavery exist in the first place? And the answers told to me, to me, were slavery wasn't all bad. Some slaves really loved their masters. Even after the emancipation, many went back. This was about states' rights. It was not about slavery. That was not kidding. I mean, that is what you are told as a white person in East, growing up in East Texas, unless you've got a really, really progressive history buff. And I will say that my grandfather was one of the first to really talk to me about injustices. And he voted very differently, even in, in a ballot in the, in the voting booth. He 
he was like the standout kind of like, oh, don't listen to grandpa. He's, he's just a liberal. And I remember being like, but he's telling me something very different than what everybody else over here is telling me. And I kind of feel like there's some truth over there that I need to dig into. He was your crazy grandpa. He was, he, he was the (laughs) patriarch. He was not, he was not crazy. It was just, I'm just saying perception wise, perception wise, he was stubborn. He just was stubborn and well, he, he was knew a everything of and history. He was a history teacher. <laughs> and so he had access to a probably broader perspective. Sure. And to this day, we still have really lengthy and long conversations about women's empowerment and about racial equality. Fantastic. Those are two yeah. conversations yeah. that his biggest regret in growing up in East Texas. Um, as a history professor in Athens, Texas, was that he he cried to me a couple of years ago, and he just said, "I just wish I could have done more. I just mm-hmm. wish I could have done more." And I'm like, "Whoa!" Like his level of solidarity, but also just like self self awareness. Like to do anti racist work means you've got to be aware of the ways that you were complicit. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons that my grandfather's taught me is like, he's not saying, Oh no, I wasn't a racist. He was saying, I really wish I would have done more. Right. And I want to learn from people like that. Right. You know, that's who, that's what I want to, that's where I want to go. Um, you know, that thinking though, that, um, that thinking of states' rights and stuff that, that, that narrative runs deep. I mean, it does. I remember being in Tyler talking with some folks and, Back in 2018, they tried to change the name, or there was kind of this thing to change the name of Robert Lee back then, and it failed. Um, and in some of my conversations, it was it was like, well, why does... I mean, put yourself in the shoes, which you can't really do, but try to put yourselves in the shoes of a 14-year-old black girl mm. who has to go to a school called Robert E. Lee. And um, what would you say to her? And one of the things that was shared back to me was... Um, ce- celebrate Robert E. Lee. He did good things. He wasn't all bad. Um, another <laughs> thing was, well, she should be proud that that, that was laid out for her. And I, mm-hmm. I just, I mean, even saying that now makes my chest really hot. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, and I don't, I don't think that was misintentioned. Like, I don't think that person really understood what they were saying when they were saying No, that. it is ignorance. It was... Well, we live in the South. You should you should be proud of your history. And you know, when people talk about why are they tearing our history down? <laughs> why are they tearing statues down? Well, because if you're a person of color, do you want to look at someone who has subjugated your family for hundreds of nights? Do you want to look right. at that? Right? <laughs> no, no. Do I? Do we need to build a statue to the uh, 19 hijackers of 9/11 because that's part of our history? So that in New York City. Um, and people who have lost family members in, in yeah, the and towers, it, yeah. and you're just supposed to look. So at, extreme jihadists can be comfortable. Because it's a part of right. history. We're just supposed to do that. That's basically what we're saying. If we, if we follow that logic all the way through, that's yeah, we what don't we're do saying. It. Yeah, we don't do it for any other group. No. Did, did, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that's real interesting because I, you know, I, I think I mentioned to you before, you know, I have regrets about not speaking up about stuff when I was a little younger, but I think our generation, even our parents, because of so many years of stuff, you kind of just accepted how it was. Yeah. You know? And so I would say one tone in my family was, you know, my 
family was like almost like ironically proud of me in the fact of like, hey, wow, you got voted homecoming king <laughs> at Robert E. Lee High School at a place that was 75% white. Like that mm-hmm. is like they they were proud of me, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. hey, you may have these accomplishments mm-hmm. under that name and, you know, how ironic, mm-hmm. you know, that their young black child is the face of, yeah. you know, for that year for Robert I mean, I can see it know? both ways, like a middle finger to the yeah. system. But, at but the same also, t- I think at the same time, some of that is kind of giving up on, yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, it's not going to change. So you might as well, you assimilate. know, ass- exactly. And, mm-hmm. and try to change the culture of Robert mm-hmm. Lee. But it's, it's deeper than that. Yeah. <laughs> a friend yeah. of mine who lives here in town is African-American counselor. Um, he and I have been having lots of conversations about this. And um, one of the things he said that just really stuck out to me, he said, Brett, you have no idea what it's like to have to navigate a white person's world. Like he said, you don't think twice about, you know, walking to the parking lot or going to the grocery store, or going through this or going through that. He says, I have four or five different decisions to make for one issue. And if I take the wrong one, then something can happen. And and I think that's what a lot of white folks don't understand. They don't, because we are at such a place of privilege, and I know people are, there's no such thing as white privilege. You're yeah. ignorant if you're saying that. If you're, you're listening just, to this podcast, you pl- I don't think they believe that, but there could be somebody out but there. But you know, I mean, I just, I'm a white guy from Texas. I don't know what it's like to be black. I don't know what it's like to be black in the South. Yeah. It is, um, I like the decision point thing um, or comment. I definitely, you know, if I'm out and about, if I'm for a run or riding my bike, I make sure I make eye contact with people. And, you know, I guess that's kind of normal my personality, but especially if I'm somewhere I'm not, I'm riding through a new neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm conscious of that. I'm conscious of it, you know. Um, you know, you probably don't notice groups of people looking at you when you go into a restaurant to go to sit down, mm-hmm. you know. I I notice the eyes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and What about when you get pulled over? Um I <laughs> I put on my best well-spoken voice as much as possible, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and um yeah, I, I don't, I mean, transparency, have I felt ever in danger in a cop situation? No. Have I been randomly, just randomly pulled over because my plates were run or something like that um, in Texas and Detroit? Yes. Mm. Um, it kind of segues me to one of my, you kind of asked me before, you know, what I experienced in Tyler. So got pulled over with some friends, two white guys in the front seat. I was probably 18 at the, that time. I was in the back seat. Got pulled over about 1130 at night. Have you guys been drinking? Blah, blah, blah. Next thing I know, I'm out of the car Mm. getting searched, Mm. patted down. You're the only one. I'm the only one. They're the two. But you're in the backseat. I'm in the backseat. I'm not driving. driving. I'm not driving. Um, I'm in the backseat. They stay in the front seat. I get patted down. They let us go. Warning. Nothing. And... I remember just being just so upset about that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just because so at, the, at the same time, like the ironic part and love my friends, but I'm like the most, 
I'm the most upstanding citizen in the yeah. car. Yeah. <laughs> KP is like up here and all these other oh my God. guys like, in high school. Like are, I would challenge anyone that, <laughs> yeah, you know, that 100%, like 100%. I, I'm the last person in that car that needed to be searched, you know? And, um, yeah, I remember actually at the time I worked at a law firm downtown. I was a runner and I was so upset and I went to work the next day and told one of the, my lawyer friends, I was really, he was like, he's like, you kind of have a case. And I'm telling you, he was like, I will do this for you. But um, because of who you are and people know you, this is going to be a big deal if you want to go through with this. And I got scared and mm. said, I'm, 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 I don't want to, I'm mm. good, you know, and kind of just let it go. And I have, I have some regrets about that. Do you? 100%. What are, what is that? Do you, f- what, what's the regret? Just the, you know, I was afraid of the backlash and, you know, you know, now I'm on the, you know, I don't know. I don't, you know, I didn't process what he said. Like, does this mean I'm going to be on in the newspaper for this, you know, um, alleged cop incident? I'm going to be on TV. Is my family going to get drug into it? Like, I don't know where the, the line of this is a big deal you know, is drawn. And can't you even see that even to, to have to think about that is a failure of our system. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the fact that, I mean, I can, I can look at that regret and just feel so much compassion because that should have never been like, Hey, do I want to survive? Do I want my family (laughs) drunk through the mud or do I want to do the right thing? Right. Because that's the, that's the deal. It's like doing the right thing in these days and in that day for the work of racial equality means making trouble. Absolutely. As John Lewis says, good, good, trouble. good trouble. Good trouble. Yeah. And I, I wish I would have made some good trouble at well, the point, you know. Well, I'm, I meet that and I look at a, at a young man who wanted to survive. Yeah. No, I mean, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, I think the good trouble that hopefully we will make on this podcast (laughs) can be a bit of redemption, um, for both of us, really for, for me, it's a very personal point of pain in my life, whether or not you knew that or not, it did. Our relationship made me see my culture, my, um, family systems, my church systems. It made, it made me question and start to look at everything. And I wouldn't have had that experience if I didn't have such close proximity with you. I mean, we were a majority white. All my friends were white. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't have, I I had, you know, athletes that I competed with. Um, but that's, that's the other issue that I'm looking at, looking at from a white perspective. It's like, Oh, well I play sports with them. Oh, well I'm a classmate with them. But to befriend someone and to share life with someone. Yeah, I, I kind of say I had a very unique experience because it wasn't just having white friends. Like I was in people's homes. Totally. A lot. Like like weekends, you yeah. wake up when you see people's parents where they're, they're yeah. out of it just waking out of bed. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a different person than the person you see at four o'clock in the afternoon at a volleyball game. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, I got a very unique per- perspective mm-hmm. of, you know, of white culture, of white, white culture, 100%, yeah. you know, and it was different than mine. It was great. You know, I mean, I was, you know, I was writing 
high off of you know yeah, my friends were, right. you know like, wow you know y'all gonna go shopping what? eat here i'm like what you go to the lake every yeah. weekend on, 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 on the jet skis jet this skis? is this like, is crazy i'm there <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> wow you know you going <clears throat> camp for weeks and yeah. this and you go to dallas every weekend and i'm invited mom, yeah. mom can i please have 20 bucks, please. Right, right. <laughs> you know? And they're just doling it out. Just Not only was it white culture, Kev, but mm-hmm. it was like rich white culture. There's, um, yes, um, there's definitely a segment in Thailand that aren't hurting for money. No. <laughs> you know? No, and, yeah. And there's no hate around it. It's just, it is what it, it's a lot. It's a, it's old money, family money yeah. passed down in, in, you know, more power to them. Right. But it's, yeah, a lot of... Uh, access and things yeah. that you know my friends get to do and i've got and i got to do you know yeah. and you know and to this day still get to do i'm friends with people you know totally. so um def- definitely different from my black friends and black family yeah. you know and none of that i think what i've learned to reckon with is like because i do carry white privilege it, it is a real thing i don't walk in a convenience store and get followed my kids as ratty as they might look jumping up out of bed they do not get searched followed because they are white no we got pulled over the other day and invited to pet the cop's canine dog (laughs) and i wouldn't have thought anything about i would have literally thought oh that's because we're fun and relatable but like a fun. He looks in the car. Oh, there's, oh, there's no black. Oh, y'all, y'all pet my dog. But he didn't say there's no black people. We just understand that now that yeah. that is not the experience of black culture oh. getting pulled over by police. Like no. we can look at that and go, wow, that's our, that's our privilege. That's privilege. Yeah. That's privilege. And how do we leverage that? It's not that it's, it's a reality. And so the question is, how do I leverage my time, my talent, my money, my influence for the sake of those who don't have that privilege? Mm-hmm. You know. I think that. One of the issues is trying to convey that message, and I'm having this issue kind of with people I'm still friends with today, is just like, I'm not, this, for me saying that, is not pointing the finger at you and saying you're bad, mm-hmm. or white people are bad, you know, yeah. and that, and yeah. it can easily be taken that way, or maybe they're choosing to take it that way, but that's not what we're, that's not what I'm saying. It's almost like at bare minimum, I just want you to acknowledge Mm -hmm. that this is the case. And that's almost pulling teeth sometimes, you know, because individualization has been one of the tropes that gets white people out of the conversation, but I'm not a bad person, but I wasn't a bad slave owner. Right. Oh, I've heard that many times, but slavery is bad. And one of the things I thought this morning, I was just praying before our podcast and I was just, it just hit me on the, it it was this phrase. It was the who's make up the what's and the who there is not a what on the face of the earth, not a system. A what would be, you know, racism, evangelicalism, um, education, healthcare. Those are all systems. Those are what's, but who the who's the people are who developed it, who built it, who support it, and who sustain it. People are always behind the what. And that is hard for white people who have not confronted their own bias. That is hard for them to see. We're, we're not talking about you as an individual. Nobody's talking about you as an individual. We're, we're talking about the culture. We're talking about the system. Well, I, you know, I, another thing I've noticed is 
I think what falls on deaf ears, and I'm trying to talk to like, like the only way things are going to change is we have these conversations. If we mm-hmm. don't, if we ignore them, so you know, I'm engaging with people, knowing I'm probably going to hear opinions that I don't want to hear, but I'd rather hear them and push back on them because. I'm probably the only person in their life that has the opportunity to push back and to have mm-hmm. this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we always go back to slavery, mm-hmm. you know, and the people can't wrap their heads around that because this is almost 200 years ago. And what does that have to do with me? Mm-hmm. But like we said earlier, like reconstruction and segregation were just as bad. And you know, like and redlining. Our, and, and our parents and grandparents, Grandparents and people are still alive that yes. went through that time. And I, you know, I almost think framing the conversation of that period of time is more relatable to people mm. because they, you know, you say slavery, it's just no one can identify with it. But mm. people are alive today to identify what was happening in yeah. 1950. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> different, different entrances, different water well, fountains. Absolutely. You know, you, we segmented that these group of people mm-hmm. were not good enough to come and be in the same place with it. That is not a long time ago. No. 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 <laughs> it's no, not. it's not. It's, it's, it's not. crazy, you know? And um, so that's kind of my position where I've been going is, you know, let's not go to slate. Let's just go to recent where you can, re- where you have yeah. a living member who was, you know, living during that time and yeah. benefiting from it, you know? You are married today to a white woman. I am, Taylor. And you've got yep. two... Beautiful biracial kids. I, yes, Miles and Spencer. How are you? Um, how is that impacted? Does that make the time that we're living in really difficult? With, um, I don't know. And it's funny you say that because I'm, I'm kind of, you know, they're still so young, and so I'm, you know, not really throwing anything at them yet. They're, mm-hmm. you know. And there's no need to, but you know, they're kind of in their own space, mm. you know, they are. <laughs> you know, being, yeah. you know, they are half white, yeah. they are half black. They do have a different, you know, culture when they go to, you know, my family, family side, it, it's a different environment than when they go to yeah. their, my wife's side of the family. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I'm kind of still formulating how I, you know, cause that's new for me. That's right. going to, you know, I'm, I can't. say, Hey, when, you know, I was in your shoes one day Mm. because Mm. (laughs) that wasn't my experience, you know, um, I kind of fear for them with, um, you know, um, I don't know, not being good enough for multiple groups of people, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I think it's just something where I'm going to have to take as it take as it comes, but it's, it's new territory for me. And it's why these conversations and the conversations you're having with people and that we're having on the podcast can hopefully create a better world for our kids can hopefully, um, as they're growing and as schools are learning more about how to teach history, how to create systems that aren't like marginalizing and continually to oppress um, people of color, it's like maybe in 20 years, you know, maybe in 10, you I know, don't know. What do you I, think? You know, the thing is, it's so rooted and it's like, I guess my analogy is, you know, you were 
digging down in this hole for 300 years. Right. Why do you expect to get out of it in 50? Yeah. So good. So <laughs> true. We want to fix. I know white people just want to fix everything. You know, and, and, but you do got to keep making steps. Yeah. But like, I mean, that kind of piggybacks to my point, like segregation was not that long ago. We've, you know, it's talked about, you know, like, <laughs> gosh, it was 40 years ago. Why can't people get it together? You know, that's that's just like two cycles of generate. You know, that's yeah. Yeah, people are still alive who <laughs> yeah, remember abso- that absolutely experienced it or were Our the parents. oppressor of it. Yeah. 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 So I think you know, I'm just encouraged that I just think the, the younger generation, you know, they have um, they have more integration mm-hmm. than we had mm-hmm. integration and culture and being around each other, access, mm-hmm. and you know that's what I think a big thing happened. You know, happened especially with the name change and things. Kids are more, you know, with the good and bad, they're more informed now. They are. <laughs> Did you? And when we watched the the hearing, the yep. you were watching it yep. too. I was like, wow, that wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have known. I would have had to, like, it would have been a two-week project right. to go to the Tyler Library and right. go through Microfish to True. find all Microfish, this information, you know, yes. to find all this information. And you literally, you know, if you want to find out the, the truth is out there yeah. real quick from your phone and these, you know, uh, one of my analogies I've been saying is these kids have grown up in a, you know, when they see something wrong, there's an expectation to change it. If your yeah. iPhone 5 has a problem with it, that next version <laughs> of it better have a fix. That's yeah. right. You know, and yeah. I think that's a big push for what's happening is, um, you know, the younger generation, you know, they're growing up a little different and they're seeing something's messed up and they're like, yeah, change it. Right. Do, let's get do, on do, with do, it. Let's do something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Were you surprised that they changed not just the name of Robert E. Lee, but both high schools? Um, it's definitely something I could not have imagined happen, but I will say just with the climate, it almost had to happen. It did. Like it really, there would have been, there would have been riots. You, (laughs) it would have, there would have been a national spotlight on the town, you know, for these people to come through and not, and say, Hey, we're not changing the name. Um, yeah, I think. I think changing the name was probably the easiest um, path of uh, resistance. You, you know? know, I found interesting. I actually, I thought they weren't going to change it, and so we're, we're all, we were all watching it separately in our house, and we're all looking. and And Lu- I remember Lucy going, "They're going to change it." I'm like, "No, they're not. No, they're not." And the reason why I kept saying no, they're not, was because when it came down to the like the closing arguments and the different board members gave their own speeches, some of them were so. I, I was flabbergasted at one in particular. And then to hear that it was a unanimous vote to change. It was like, I've got to get my voice on record that I disagree with this, but I'm just going to vote to keep the peace. That was one of the tensions I walked away with that I thought, oh, it's so, so deep, it's so deep. Yeah, it, it would have not been a good look to be one of the people that mm-hmm. <laughs> say don't change the names. You know, with that said, you know, I've kind of been watching the theater from, uh, from <laughs> afar, you know, and with social media and stuff, you know, the, the town did not want that name to change. True. The, I mean, the majority of people did not and do not and are still are very upset about it. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely, you know, those board members, they, they, you know, 
I don't know if this is a right term, but kind of in a no-win situation, yeah. you know? Yeah, you know? Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. do you know if your brother's gotten any backlash? I'm sure he has. We haven't we haven't talked, talked about, about it, it no. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that there's a lot of stress. I know that there has been stress because this issue came up three years ago and it didn't, the vote didn't go this way. Yeah. Um, and so um, it's time. And I think they, all the board knew it was time and knew that the pressure was on, but that doesn't mean, like you said, it doesn't come with a cost. Um, yeah. When the majority culture is still very steeped in romanticizing the Confederacy. Yeah. And, you know, it's again, it's kind of ironic. What would have come, I do think, you know, I don't know that federal government would have got involved or anything like that. But, you know, a lot of these, um, it kind of goes back to the state's right thing. You know, <laughs> it's our right to name our schools what we want. You can't come in and tell us. But, you know, going back in history... You know, those people have always been on the wrong side of history. 100%. You know, it's there is our, a wrong side of history. 100%. You know, and, you know, it's our state right to have slaves. It's our state right to have segregation in our schools. It's our state rights to limit voting, you know, um, things like that. And that's kind of the cult. It's almost like, um, mm-hmm. It's our right to be an a-hole. Yeah. You're, you're, and <laughs> you know? what, yeah. what you're messing with is just, the status quo and the power structure mm-hmm. that is, this creates so much discomfort because it forces us to reckon with these issues that we've long n- either been misinformed about or we just haven't wanted to look at from a different angle. I want to read where our staff is reading Be the Bridge together right now. And um, Latasha Morrison is someone who works in anti-racist work and for racial equality. Um, and she says in this, I thought this was so good because it goes back to the name change just being a small step in the right direction, but the work is really so much more. And so Latasha says, enforcing a law didn't dismantle racism. Diversity doesn't disrupt systemic racism. I told her, she's talking about an interaction she had with a white woman, nor did it kill racist views. By studying the truth of desegregation, I'd come to see that the process in the South lacked on-the-ground leadership, that the concern for black schools, students, and teachers was not a priority. What's more, the process of desegregation lacked recognition of psychological and emotional effects on both the white and the black communities. Had it acknowledged the white community's implicit sense of superiority, could this desegregation, could it undo the psychological results of abuse and trauma the black community had suffered at the hands of majority culture? And didn't that same abuse continue as more black teachers were fired than white, more black schools closed than white, less training and resources given to black teachers, coaches, and faculty than white? So while desegregation was good, it wasn't fully supported. The name change is great. Are we going to do the deeper work? Yeah, I've read many things about them. I mean, basically, basically paraphrasing, you know, they integrated schools but didn't integrate the school systems. Yeah. You know, so yeah. now all these, now black kids are going to the white school, but no black teachers, right. no black coaches, none of that, all that infrastructure to, you know, at minimum feel somewhat comfortable is yeah. gone. Well, yeah. then the traditionally yeah. black schools don't have money for books. Mm-hmm. Or their books are old. Mm-hmm. Or their yeah. programs get cut. I mean, listen, me and Lucy just finished watching Friday Night Lights again, the whole series. <laughs> you got East Dillon and West Dillon. 
There you go. I mean, yeah. the pro- right there, I know it's Hollywood, but that's true. It's like, yeah. you know, one it's school everywhere. gets more than the other. It's everywhere. Well, I hope this podcast is, um, as we wrap up, I, any, any last thoughts for what you want to say or what you want listeners to know? No. Well, I appreciate you letting me tell somewhat of my story and I appreciate everything you're doing. I mean, you're, you know, you're all in and I love it. (laughs) Both of you guys. (laughs) Um, and I don't know. I, I do think we're on the right track. It's, it's, it's going to be slow, Mm -hmm. slower than people want to, but you know, at the end of the day, it just, it really starts in our homes with our kids and, and, um, you know, how they go out and interact in the world. It's, um, you know, we're going to see the fruits from it there. You know, um, it won't be as fast as we want it, but it's, it's going to get there. I mean, people are going to really, it's going to be one of those things where we look back and like, I can't believe people live like that in mm. 1950. Yeah. You know, like in 50 years, people are going to be like, I can't believe in 2020. I know, right? <laughs> I can't. There's, saying that about there's a lot of so things much not to believe in 2020. Multiple <laughs> pandemics happening. Right. I mean, don't do a back to the future. I thought the other morning, I was like, do not do a back to the future where you drop somebody in 2020. Because they're going to be like, I'm out. Right. I'm just not. I'm not, I'm not living. Amazing, I'm going right? to stop the family line. Cause, but yeah, this is. these are crazy times. You, you have been so gracious. Thank you Thank for, you for accepting me. this invitation. And thanks and for driving up from Houston yeah. Yeah, yeah, to, to be here in, in, yeah. in front of each other. No, I got to come see the studio and yeah. your little enterprise here. I love yeah, it. And uh, no, I feel, I feel like a superstar now. You are a superstar. <laughs> well, you're definitely going to be famous for sure. Already, <laughs> Watch out. Like I said, I'm on iTunes. You can Google, you know, put me in the search on <laughs> iTunes and right. I like it. That's right. <laughs> Um, well, I, I hope if you're listening to this, that this has been a, a conversation that you can learn from, grow from, that your hope has been awakened, that you are empowered to change in beautiful ways. And I hope that you've learned through Ke- Kevin's story, KP's story, um, just some of the threads of both tragedy and triumph. And I would add to that, if you have a different opinion or a different experience, it's okay to disagree and then just don't be disagreeable. I think, I think, I think we need to pull our chairs up to the table and we can have these hard conversations and we can walk away and still hug each other versus kill each other. So let's stop killing each other when we disagree. That's good. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. And we hope as always that you share the love. Hey, thanks for joining the Jesus Said Love podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to awaken hope and empower change with us. We want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review Yes, because your voice matters. It's how we get this message into the world. And lastly, be sure to follow Jesus Said Love on Instagram and Facebook for up-to-date info. And visit the website at JesusSaidLove.com for how you can join the JSL fam. Until next time. Share the love.